Hello everyone and welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education at Liberty University. And with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy at Genesee Community College. It's November, which means it's election season. What better time to, to discuss politics? While visions of donkeys and elephants may be dancing through your head, I'll advise you ahead of time that this won't be one of those conversations. While talking heads may be turning blue or red in the face, shouting hot air, what we seek to find here is the essence of politics. What constitutes it, how it came to be, and where it's going. Maybe by pulling back the obfuscated curtain of biased rhetoric and looking at the core machinations of the concept, we can learn something valuable about the system and about ourselves. All right, Norm. Well, we're back. We're it's back, been, Joel. It's, it's nice. been months. You know, <laughs> yes. Things have changed. We're in a new setting. We have uh, new equipment. I've got a new beard. <laughs> <laughs> but things have changed, um, and uh, things will stay the same as well. But we're going to try something a little bit different with the podcast. Um, we've spent several episodes laying the groundwork of philosophy, and you know, uh, we've gotten some feedback that people have enjoyed it. And now, you know, we want to take a set of topics that are outside that sort of core um, philosophical um, center piece mm -hmm. and kind of examine individual topics and do some philosophizing ourselves. So Good. I think it will be interesting going forward. So today we're talking about politics and, um, you know, it, politics is obviously a very divisive concept in modern society yes. you know um if you you everybody knows what's going on in the news even if you're actively not trying to pay attention to what's going on in the news everybody knows what's going on i you know i how about if we just start right out and <laughs> i'm not so sure that everyone does everybody thinks they do though yes yes but there are people who say I I don't pay attention to mm -hmm. any of the reports that I hear at the media. That, that, so yes, th they think that they do, but then that becomes a studied not. I mean, I'm glad we're having this conversation because it shouldn't be about divisiveness. It's that politics is supposed to be actually the opposite, right? And and I'm one of those people that you know, if somebody asks me about politics, I will immediately tell them I don't pay attention. And I think it's it's just a defense mechanism because. There is an obfuscated curtain. There's just a curtain that you pull back and then there's more curtain. And then you're <laughs> lost in curtains and you're swimming in curtains and you, you have no idea what's going on anywhere. And and I think that it's that's what happens with the rhetoric that's currently going on. You have this side telling that side that there's fake news or that there's um, a conspiracy of some kind or yeah, yeah. all of these different things. And really... What is it all except a distraction from what should be happening, what politics should be? So, from a philosophical standpoint, mm -hmm. um, there's there's a few ways of going about examining a topic. Um, you know, you can use kind of an inductive reasoning, deductive reasoning. You can use a Socratic method, those sorts of things. I think with politics, um, getting to the essence of politics, what is politics you know i think we kind of have to look at well, what is the initial purpose of it how does it begin what so do you want to go well, what do you think well we just start we, we just start I and mean, if if we start with the word ancient greek meant affairs of state or actually affairs of the city that later became affairs of states. And so that branches rapidly <laughs> to where we are. But, but politics is about what is the good of, uh, for a collective governance. How should governance adjust in order to uh, look out for the city or the state uh, in in ways that help people um, have a, a, a livelihoods and and um, interrelationships that 
are are not just productive, uh, but healthy. Okay. So let's get, let's really try to define the basics of it then. So if we come down to the very basics of it, philosopher politics is something that is in regard to relationships. Relationships. Yes. You can't have politics by yourself no. in isolation. No. So you can't have politics by yourself in isolation. Um, so politics govern relationships. What relationships do they govern? And I think this is where you get into different political philosophies. You, you know, I think that that question will evoke whether or not you're a Marxist or a um, yes. So let's let's stay away from it. let's stay away from the isms and ists and uh, as much as we can, because I think that's our intent. Right. All right. So all so if we think about just for a moment, Hobbes, Locke, and 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 those folks who, especially Locke, who was uh, Locke, essentially said America was the, the new creation story. Uh, a lot of people don't necessarily know that, but that's part of what he was working on. But the idea ultimately is with Hobbes and the Leviathan, with Locke, and, and with us, what are the best relationships that can be cultivated with a steady system of governance? What should government touch and what should government not touch. You know, we go back to the classic Hobbes said that without any kind of governance, life would be nasty, brutish, and short. Right. That we would all eventually just kill each other. And and we can go in any number of science fiction <laughs> right, yeah. things where, where, yeah, it all degenerates. I mean, the, the, I know this is goofy. and Maybe you don't want to go here, but I'm just going to toss it. And then we can, uh, if you go to something like The Walking Dead, mm. essentially you remove the zombies, you have, uh, and you have, what you have is a study, so many studies uh, like Plato's Republic of how many different ways clusters of people try to organize to look out after their own best interests and how they approach or don't approach other people to reach out or to keep away uh, for I, for whatever ideas of self-protection or the goodness of the, the little mini state as it is. Yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really relevant example, actually, because what that that gets us back to the, this question so politics is a a um, moderation of relationships and mm-hmm. I, I asked what relationships doesn't moderate so and you know i like i said the answer to that question gets you into your different political philosophies but at its at its base roots what is what is the minimum what's the minimum qualifications of politics what are what did, what relationships does it need to um, moderate. And so if we, if we ask that question, I think a, a logical extension of it would be, do animals have politics? If you look at a group of great, great apes, do they have politics? There's obviously a hierarchy, but does it, quali- you know, does it satisfy the basic principles of politics? Is it just power? Is, it, is politics just power? Is that all you need to have a political system? No, it's a marvelous question. I think not, since we're just we're just talking, you know, not notes and and all of that. If it's just power, it is power. But every single relationship since humanity began, I would assert, has been about power. Mm-hmm. Marriage is about power. Work is about. Power. The politics of a workplace are just as dynamic on a mini micro scale as the politics of a city or a state or a country. Um, so the the way you put it, I, I love it. It's the idea of say it again, moderation. Yeah, moderating a relationship. Moderating a relationship. So how do you establish a place where people can uh, pursue their own best positive interests? without over-managing them? How do you uh, moderate a relationship so that people who might not necessarily be willing to give of themselves to others do so that you can have roads, water systems, and so on? Uh, And that leads to taxes, 
which doesn't need to lead to red, blue, or anything else. It's just looking at the, you're going to have taxes because people aren't of themselves going to give toward mm. things. I've heard many people, unfortunately, my age and, and older, who I, I find it embarrassing to say, but it's not an overgeneralization of an entire generation. That would be wrong to do. But uh, I no longer have kids in school. I shouldn't have to pay school taxes. Well, that, that betrays the notion that you are no longer part of the community. And, and the moderated relationship is a community, not a utopia, and not a moralistic place where everyone should be telling everybody else the best way that a community is supposed to be. But the moderation has to be a steady oscillation of interactivity, not assuming that every one in a system is of the same ilk or of the same need. I think that's where the, the really interesting part of politics. Yeah, and I think it is happens. too. And, um, you know, the, I, I've really streamlined the outline of the whole podcast show. Uh, and I'll let the, the listeners in on this. Basically, with each topic we're going to look at, I want to figure out the essence of the topic. I want to look at formative issues with the topic, you know, how it, how it began or started, and speculative issues of the topic, what it should be or what it may be. And um, I think that a lot of the stuff that you mentioned brings me into the, I, the speculative part of it. And I don't, I don't want to get there just yet. Okay, we'll, talk about it. we'll talk about it towards the end. Okay. What politics should be and what it is. But yeah. I think we're still on the essence. Where, where do we draw the line on what is and isn't politics? So what, maybe, um, so what kind of, what makes a, a tribe of great apes, what makes that not politics? They have a, they have a leader. Um, they have some functioning group system of survival. Why is it not politics, do you think? What's it lacking? Uh, well, then I'm going to sound really stodgy and old-fashioned. So. <laughs> I, I, no, I'm not. I'm not. Because I don't think... I'm not suggesting that it lacks something. I'm, I'm, I'll even back up and not even... I'm, I won't suggest that it's not politics, but it's politics within the realm of, of languages that we don't even necessarily recognize yet as languages. The language is in there, mm -hmm. uh, but clearly they, there's there's a, a, a hierarchic uh, structure and and moderated relationships within them. Who gets kicked out? Who doesn't? In in you know whether it's the bonobos or the chimps or what the great apes, whatever your unit you're talking about. So yeah, that's power. Um, I don't know that it's power that is necessarily reflectively altered. Mm -hmm. No, and I'd agree with that. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about it and even more examples are coming to my mind and at lower tiers of life forms. And now I'm thinking about ants or termites. These, these animals build structures and they have a leading figurehead. Then they have class systems of lower animals who have specific jobs and carry out specific tasks. That's almost a much more advanced system of politics than you'd see in a great ape community. I'm not an expert in animals, and maybe what I said was just completely wrong. I'm sure, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the great apes are much more advanced. Um, but, but I'm just thinking about, you know, if you get into ants or termites or bees and you start to look at these things, they, I think that they may have the essentials of what you could consider politics, but it's obviously at a different scale. And I think that what you say... Um, the reflective component of it is what separates the scale. And so if these, if these animals have, um, they have politics maybe, but it's, it's a caste system at the insect level. These animals are born into their roles. Yes, it's not a moderated so, system. You're not going to see, right. oh, an ant colony that, that so necessarily... Not, they don't have a decision in it. No. Um, but in a monarchy... You may not have a decision or, you know, in a caste system, you may not have a decision either. Oh, but you still have the free will. You and do have free will. In a caste system, you can decide to uh, re rebel against the king. I mean, look at the, the idea of parliaments. Parliaments, uh, which was really based on the word parlay, <laughs> and and uh, would have, I've been reading Jill Lepore's uh, uh, newest history of the United States, and it's just marvelous. Anyway, that's a plug. Uh, but 
Parliaments was if they, uh, in England, right? so way back, you'd meet once every three years. It's primarily the nobles meeting to talk, but then they start construing it as, oh, but we're representing our people, and not necessarily mm-hmm. for real at first. And, and, then, and then people begin to speak up. And then when you flash forward again, you have uh, colonies on opposite sides of an ocean or the, the, the homeland of the colony and however you want to construe it. And, and people looking at rebellions uh, among native peoples against the incoming newbies and, and, and people making choices. I will give up my life to rebel against this, or I, I will put things at risk in order to do this, or I will do this act, and I know it's going to have consequences. I, we're not in a position to be able to say that ants or bees or right. necessarily do that. Yeah, we don't have that kind of insight, at least as far as I know. We don't have that kind of insight into an insect community. As far it's as probably, I know either, probably pretty fair to, to assume that they don't. I've never heard of an ant rebellion. Now, with apes, maybe you do. Maybe you are, you know, with a, with a pack of wolves or a pack of apes, Maybe there's, you know, situations where a leader gets old or where, you know, I think there is. You're maybe, citing your Rudyard Kipling now, aren't you? You're yeah, gonna... <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe reflective, reflective thought isn't the correct word, but there's some sort of neurological process that goes on in the animal that triggers or signals something to them that this is an ideal time to attempt to seize power. Or even if you're, if it's a beta or a delta animal to support a different mm-hmm. leader. Mm-hmm. So there is some sort of, um, at that higher level, there's something there. But I think that, I think you really kind of struck on it. Perhaps it's the reflective component that separates human politics from animal politics. There's that. I choose. It's a conscious, yes, there's a free will conscious awareness. I um, wish, I assert, I ask. Right. All of those things <laughs> that we covered talking about consciousness you know and that's why those early conversations were important before we delved into something like this because now you can go back and listen listen to our consciousness episode (laughs) and see okay well that's what separates human consciousness from animal consciousness and that's why human politics are different from animal politics so we've kind of i think we're we're getting to um a little bit about what politics is it moderates relationships in a reflective way and the relationships that it moderates sort of determines your political ideology to an extent. Um, for instance, politics, um, modern politics especially, um, moderates financial relationships, but it probably didn't have to early in human history when there wasn't finance. You know, there might, you know, there, there, and in smaller groups, it may not moderate finance. You know, we may have a group of 10 or 12 people, you know, uh, you know, and there's no financial interaction, but it, it, so it can, I don't think that it has to moderate certain relationships, but it can moderate almost all of them. Mm-hmm. So going from that point, um, is there relationships that it must moderate? Well, power, you know, you, I think that you have to have some distribution of power, even if it is a, you know, um, a communist sort of society or, or something like that, there's still an identification of this is a, a person or a group of people or a board or whatever it is that sort of sets rules, sets expectations, decides a direction of the group. Which can then be moderated if, this, if the system is functioning. If it by, has some sort of feedback. By in, in input in some way and you know, I'm sure it can be, yes, it could be, depending on which iteration, which model you're talking about, it can, it can certainly be negative. Right. But, but if we're just looking at the as value neutraling it, mm-hmm. the, 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 yes, it's the decision-making that says here are, is the hierarchy of needs or the uh, priority list of, of needs. Here are 
the resources that we seem to recognize, even uh, maybe we're not recognizing resources we have, but under the recognition of the resources, how do we use those resources to establish the needs? I mean, I think I think if you go to Maslow's hierarchy, you've got a pretty adequate, interesting model for political relationship. You know, basic <laughs> food, light, safety. Mm. Uh, once you've established that, then working your way up the Maslow chain, how do you help people uh, self-actualize? Yeah, and I think that that's a huge topic that we'll cover when we get to the speculative part of it. Is is I, and I think that and I think that people will have strong opinions on that about whether politics should even have anything to do with the top of the pyramid. Hmm. Um, you know, and I and to be honest, I don't think that. And modern American in politics really cares much about the top of the pyramid, um, but should it? And that's something we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. But I think that we've, we, we kind of have covered, perhaps to the best of our ability, the essence of politics, what politics is. So I think that in a rare um, instance of genius, we've somehow actually accomplished something. <laughs> most, of the time, most of the time, we try very hard and we just end up with more questions. Yeah. But I think we actually did a pretty good job of figuring out what politics is. Um, here, here. <laughs> so let's talk about some formative questions. Why is there politics? So I guess the first question I'd want to ask is, do you think politics is a natural extension of human existence? Or do you think that it's a um, something that required um, thoughtful construction from a very early point? The latter, not the former. Okay. It's not natural. You don't think uh, it's natural? I, I, no, I do not think it's natural. Okay. Any more than I think logic is natural. We like to think we're very rational, but quite often we're not. And it takes discipline to to try right. to be rational more often, which is back to what Hobbes was saying. So just with the question, no, if politics is an artifice um, developed to uh, establish the possibility, if not the probability, that we might survive and excel but let's just stay with the survival nobody is completely not even building computers the way one can or but the 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 the, the, the most stringent stoic survivalist is not an island unto himself he is not a political system and he is not able to survive in a sense that we would consider to be human in its fullest recognition in utter isolation. Okay. We have plenty of isolationist novels and stories and, and throughout our, our, whether you're talking about sacred text or, or science fiction or ancient stories, whatever. But all at base, it's, it's how do we make sure that we don't all kill each other? Mm. Okay, so... <laughs> I'll I'll challenge you on that topic, not because I disagree, but because I think that it's important good sort of learning experience for listeners. Because and especially people who haven't listened to the previous podcast or since we haven't been in the studio in a few months have forgotten recent podcasts. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of people are might be at home thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, we just talked about animal politics and you know the differences and stuff, and so mm-hmm. they think, well, maybe politics is a natural thing. Maybe it would just naturally occur, right? And and you said that you don't think it's the case um, because humans are not rational creatures. And I think a lot of people might just be, wait, well, hold on a minute. That's, that doesn't seem right. You need to explain that some more. And I think that we have talked about this in the past. And I think that where, where it comes back to is that it kind of determines your philosophical outlook on, on free will. So, and science is starting to fill in the gaps here. You know, neuroscience and um, a lot of psychology, are, they're finally starting to come up with empirically measurable ways of determining 
just how much free will you have in making decisions. Mm. And, um, and that's where you're coming from. So if you, if you're not in the loop with a lot of those things, I think that it, it, it's easy to, to, to try to challenge that, to say, well, I'm a rational person. Well, no, I, I, you know, and then that, that, that little thought influences the whole train of thought down to the formations of politics. You think, well, no, I think it could be a natural thing because where I'm a rational person and, you know, I, you know, or, you know, and, and things would have just happened naturally this way. <laughs> but when you look at the role that conscious thought plays in actions and you, what you find is that a lot of subconscious actions or, you know, or unconscious actions are play a bigger role in how you behave and neither you or I are behaviorists. I think that, you know, I think it's an antiquated way of thinking. Um, but there's a lot of behavior. Behaviorist principles are the easiest things to test. And they do shed a lot of very important light on human thought processes. Mm-hmm. And what you find is that humans do behave in a lot of ways that they're unaware of. Yes. Yes. So really, you're challenging me on this. So I, it's like, uh, I do not assert that we are completely irrational. If we were, we wouldn't be able to be right. Yeah. To it. Uh, I assert that it's a constant struggle toward self-discipline to, to be able to look beyond one's immediate needs. That's what politics is. That doesn't mean everyone's going to arrive at the same determination of what the immediate needs are, but that's what the discussion is about. If you've, I've been rereading the Federalist Papers. I've been, you know, here are the Federalist Papers, which are written by Adams and Hamilton, and, and, and third just went out of my head. I'm sure. But, um, yes. and, and it was all an attempt to it was short essays. They all assumed the name Publius so that they would sound nice and scholastic. And they were, it was an attempt to convince New York State, uh, re- well, New York residents, not New York State yet, but the colony, of why it needed to consider being part of the uh, one large confederation, not individual states, each like all little monarchies and little countries. And the and the things that Hamilton writes, because we now know who wrote which ones, uh, as well as the others, are all about the attempts to say, here's why it doesn't work well to have really small individualistic little places, because they're more likely to go to war with each other. They're more likely to have contrastive uh, economic systems that are going to cause lots of conflict. A whole laundry list of, of things why an integrated larger state is best for all. Mm. Uh, it's really one of the, 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 the first one of the first formulations for the public, reaching out to the public in short form <clears throat> to make a case for political unity. And that's that's where I'm um, reflecting and rethinking about you know whatever where everyone is about where we are now in politics. If you go back to the basics, what were human beings thinking about? about advancing their needs and their relationships so they could be beyond the survivalist. Right. And so when we're talking, when we're asking formative questions about politics, where, why is there politics? um, You know, we've established that politics is the moderation of relationships, but I think informative politics, you know, in the early days of politics, I think that that main relationship that was being moderated was power. And yeah, then, absolutely. And then I think that a lot of, you know, the Federalist Papers and, um, you know, uh, really a lot of um, 18th century politics is, was sort of the dawn of modern politics. You know, you can, you can sort of trace back, you know, the dawn of nuclear physics or the dawn of technology. You can see when these things happen. Mm-hmm. And I think you can do so with the I- political ideology as well. There was, there was a distinct point where it branched out from being, like you were saying, a survivalist or a, a power-based system into something more than that. And I think that it sort of happened 
you know, not by coincidence, no. you know, around all, you know, in America and in Europe and, and other places around the world in that 17th century time frame. Because a lot of these people were communicating. Um, they were in the Enlightenment. So in the 1700s, they were communicating. They were reading each other. They were talking about things. They were, they were, uh, they, they missed so much because of the construct of race, which is something else we can talk about later. They missed so very much that they could have, the world would be different now if they'd mm-hmm. taken that last step, but they didn't do it. Uh, but still, they were. They, when Ben Franklin uh, revises part of the, the statement uh, in the initial declaration and gives it a, a, not a religious and sacred basis for where our rights inherently come from, and made it essentially a rational scientific basis, thus putting it into into terms that come from us about why we have certain truths that we see think are self-evident to just talk about our own model. Uh, if there are truths that we find self-evident, and these are things that we think uh, then lead to our own necessity as independent agents, and you declare that you are an independent agent, if you are all independent of each other entirely, there is no politics. Mm. So the independent agency then frees people up to say, all right, but do we have, do we have needs that can we be better as a cluster than we can as individuals? And that's the formative part. And if we can, what questions do we need to ask about how we can be better? Extremely important, like future altering um, is that that part that you were just speaking about Ben Franklin, and he was doing exactly what we were talking about when defining the essence of politics. What what relationships should politics moderate and Mm -hmm. should religion be one of those relationships? And I think up until that point in history, it was sort of taken for granted that religion should be a relationship that politics should moderate and, and they back to when they question that's that's right and think, think about <laughs> and, you know think about how much different things would be because a lot of the the revolutions that have occurred since then the industrial revolution the technological revolution um gender and racial um you know revolutions all these things are results of the political revolution mm-hmm. of what was happening in yes. the 18th century so these Original political philosophers, whether they're American or, you know, some of the European ones, that one sentence in the Declaration or in a Constitution or in these things are altering the future course of humankind, for better or worse. Because like you said, there are certain racial things and certain gender things that never were addressed and then developed in a way that could have been remediated if it had been addressed. And even if it, if it yes, yes, and it, it could have been. But of course, that's that's ascribing far too much authority to one group of relatively young men mm-hmm. in one place where, of course, they are going to be blindsided by their own self-interest. And that's where the other... Politics is a moderation of relationships that I think I would assert in formulaic terms, in forming formative terms, goes not so well when you don't acknowledge upfront the, the needs or the perceived needs of the individuals involved. If you can't be upfront that you are denying the very thing that you're saying in your own economic relationships in your private life, mm-hmm. but you're making all these grand statements in public, then you have to find a way to justify the negative part of the private life so that it does gel. And, so, and that's what politics is, is, is a back filling kind of thing too. Yeah, you're bringing us up to a very, a super interesting, very important and highly paradoxical issue of politics, which is this idea that um, politics is sort of an important evolutionary step in societal relationships. And the very 
thing that it's attempting to remediate is one's own vested self-interest. Mm-hmm. You're trying to put that aside for the good of the whole. But while you're doing that, the individuals who are deciding the interest of the whole are still probably subconsciously, um, in the most ideal of cases, are subconsciously still trying to look out for their own self-interest. And I think that that's where a lot of, a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of um, things are happening. You know, um, we've talked about on the show Confederate monuments and taking them down. And then an extension of that conversation is the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson owning slaves Mm -hmm. and these sorts of things. And, and, you know, the question arises, where do we draw the line? Where do we stop? You know, where do we say this person was, you know, a, a great founding father or this person was a racist or a misogynist or a, um, you, you know, a... You stop, throwing, you stop throwing things around as if they're pejorative uh, declaration of, of the entire character of an individual. Mm-hmm. I've also been reading a book by Abram Kendi on anti-racism. He's speaking up in retrospect so. And it's just uh, just so instructive. Everything I'm reading is, I, I, I think about my, my wife and I have been talking about we, our whole lived life. Oh, and we're reasonably intelligent people and we read and we read and we examine our experiences and we've missed all of these other things, these, the com- complications that, as you've just described, have, have led to things that cause more difficulties but if you everyone has the capacity and is at one moment or another racist Mm -hmm. but if one uses that as a oh gosh i just said that didn't i and i whatever it is one has said you say why where does that come from why would i think that it doesn't become a this is what I am character. It becomes a moment of potential instructiveness, which is the formative part of politics. Exactly. And so that's where that's where modern the, the modern conversation regarding politics is very hung up. Mm-hmm. Is that there's an attempt by um, whatever side holds an opinion to cast the other side as holding an opposite opinion that determines the character of the people that hold that opinion and to use that singular characteristic or viewpoint Mm -hmm. to infer a large number of other characteristics about a person that also determine that person's character so that you can take one stand on something that you know if i were to tell you that um i'm anti-abortion you could automatically infer a huge number of other things. As if I just did a visual overlay over you, like some Sherlock Holmes episode where all the... (laughs) Yeah, and that's not not the way it works. No. And I'm not saying that I'm anti-abortion. I'm using it as an example. No, but that's... And that's what Kendi says, is that the the moment we we verge from looking at shared humanity to assuming behavior for a group or assuming a universalization of of policy stands because of one thought. Ideally, politics is formed, we're talking about the formative, to, it's not static. It's, it's formed to engender, to create, to uh, push for, however slowly, uh, uh, rethinking 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 that's not where we are mm-hmm. now right yeah so i i mean i think that one thing i just want to clarify before we move into the next section because i think this is a really good um segue into the speculative parts of the conversation is that you know when when we're looking at historical characters um people throughout history who have had political influence um you just have to, I think that, like you were saying, what ideas are about people are constantly changing. How What relationships should be mediated are changing. And I think the idea of politics is always about a whole group. But there is an instinctual part of people that is 
can be conscious, but it can also be subconscious that wills them to make decisions in their own best interests. And so as a result, I think that obviously there's people in the past, Thomas Jefferson and other people who made bad decisions. Um, And nothing that we are going to say makes what they did right. But should we interpret all of their work through that lens. Um, I think, and I think it depends on the motivation of the original individual. Not through the lens, but but now we're now we're crossing politics to history, and that's okay because they are right. But, but if we were to uh, just dwell in the heroification and simplification, then we we've missed anything that we could possibly learn. When we when we've learned things and, and we know things about the complexity of the human individuals who were the founders first, let's say, it is not wrong to say, "Shame on you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you missed this." If at the same moment we're saying, "Shame on us," if we find ourselves lingering. And doing the same kind of thing symbolically or not. It is to teach us through the, the horror of humanity, <laughs> with the brilliance of humanity and the horror of humanity, all into, that we know the stories better and better so that we can do better things with our uh, modified, uh, the moderated relationships. Right. Yeah, I think that's perfect. And, you know, it, it again comes back to. A paradox, you know, um, we need to interpret the actions of people in the past as accurately and honestly as we can, yes. while at the same time, understanding the mystery of consciousness and subjective experience and knowing that we could never know whether or not they were intentionally or unintentionally making decisions and whether or not they even understood the impact of the decisions they're going to make. Did Ben Franklin know by changing that one sentence that he could possibly be altering the course of history? He probably did. But that's not to say that all of them knew or that, you know. Or that's primarily where he dwelt. Maybe he has a thought. Maybe Yeah, but these are very complex politics and, you know, um, especially formal politics is a, a very complex scenario that involves a lot of the philosophical issues that are just as complex that we covered in the past, mm-hmm. whether regarding consciousness, regarding free will, regarding all of these things. Mm-hmm. So just a last little um, plug about formative um, politics. Let's move into the speculative. This is the most fun part. And <laughs> <laughs> we've been trying to get there. Uh, so talk about the speculative. Yes. Um, let's start with what politics is and will be. What, what do you think realistically? Um, in the modern state, and we'll, obviously we'll stick with America because, uh, well, we don't have to. And I'll tell you why, because I think that that's a huge part of it is that I think that there's a tribalism to politics that probably should be going extinct because yes. there's technology has made a globalized population. And I, this is in doing research for the show. One of the things that I found super interesting was that historians largely regard the formative aspect of politics to come back to warfare originally. Mm. And I feel like that is completely antiquated in modern society. I don't think that modern politics revolves around warfare at all, despite all of the warfare that's happening in the world. I feel like warfare plays maybe the smallest part. Um, You know, outside of... Mm -hmm. Basically, Africa is the only continent on Earth right now that has shifting borders in a major way i mean okay russia took a slice of ukraine a few years ago and everybody went no nuts. small thing but right. besides that yeah. in the past 70 years uh, you know where have borders changed where has warfare really influenced how do we um, measure how do we measure i'm putting in quotation marks air quotes acceptable losses hmm. this is to reinforce your point we can't even conceive now, most people, uh, on a regular basis, the staggering losses of life from the Roman Empire. Up to, then we have World War I, which you cited, World War II. But even, even then, we have the American Civil War, in which we lost more lives than World War I and World War II 
put together. Now, on a, but on a, war, on a planetary scale, we are less violent. Mm. Now, that doesn't serve political interests that want to frighten and scare people and make them think that everyone is trying to kill everybody dead. <laughs> right? It's like rage or something. It's not. So, so there, that's where when one doesn't have the uh, enlightened, and I mean that, not in an elitist sense, the, the attempt to enlighten oneself, to learn, to reflect, to say, oh, man, that was wrong. That's what's going on? Okay. And, and to say, no, we have bigger issues than borders or, you know, we have a planetary issue. Mm. Do, does our planet survive? Of course it does. Are we able to continue surviving on it? That's really problematic across an, a multi-generational view now. And every time we concentrate on, yeah, but if our economics isn't great, we're not going to be making as much money as this or that, then the future does not look good for right. humanity. All right, so let's, let's shift gears. Rather than what politics will be, let's start with what politics should be, because I think we kind of have to have that conversation before we move into the other one. So what, what politics should be? You've touched on a huge part of that, and a lot of modern political philosophy is dealing with these ideas. What is the responsibility of political organizations for climate change? What is the political um, responsibility of organizations for um, global justice, for racial equality? What, that's the question about what politics should be. We, we started the beginning of this episode, you know, with very minute detail, trying to determine what basic relationships politics should moderate. Now that system has evolved over tens of thousands of years. And now we're at the point where politics is moderating a large number of relationships and we're trying to determine what other relationships it should monitor. So, with climate change, um, this is this comes back to all of this really falls under paternalism, which is the idea of should politics and governing bodies be allowed to restrict free will in order to do what is the best for the members of its body. And that's what climate change falls under. That's what um, racial and social it's justice. That's what economics falls right. under. Right. And, and, and so now, and some of these things seem, you'd think that one as big as climate change would be a pretty obvious yes, right? If we don't have a planet, we can't survive. Reference the earlier rationality right. thing. That but, but, even that, but even that one is, is controversial, right? Even there's some people that say, well, it doesn't exist. Or there, there, there are. But you see, now here comes the elitist. It isn't controversial. We have the unmitigated. It's in front of us. We have the scientific evidence. We have everything we need to take action, except the collective will to do so, because it's too expensive and it will lead to too much social change, and we can't wrap our heads around it. And so you must have a political will to do that. But, but, but we have individuals. We have cities now. Mayors who are attending conferences because our national leaders don't, as an example, on one issue, who are saying, we're moving ahead. We have to. Mm -hmm. We have uh, governors of states attending things like this, saying, we're going to make agreements with you because the larger group doesn't seem able to do so. And then you have the larger group saying, oh, but you can't go that far because that's going to make it harder for the rest of us. And so the politics becomes one of what's... It's, it really becomes... An, uh, the, the moderated relationship is one of what's best for us. So perhaps there is a paternalism in it. I think it's really hard to... Or a maternalism. Right. So here... Um so this, first off, that really highlights the importance of the founding fathers on political systems, because what you just described couldn't have happened in medieval Europe. There was no smaller political body. Well, there was, but there was no overarching 
No. But, you know, you couldn't have changes within a system. There was just a system. So that's interesting. But so let's take paternalism a little bit farther because it's philosophy and that's what it's about. So I, you know, I said that climate change, you know, it, maybe it shouldn't be controversial, but it is. And that probably tips our hand a little bit about our political leanings. So I'm going to immediately put us on the hot seat and okay. say, where does it end? Let's say, so if, if the government looks at it and says, well, we have plenty of empirical studies that eating red meat causes early death mm-hmm. and we're going to ban red meat. Um, you know, I think that this now taking it to a level like that or taking it to an even more absurd level. Oh, more people die in car crashes than any other way. So we're going to outlaw private cars and everything will be public transportation. Mm-hmm. This, that sort of thing more highlights the other side's viewpoints, except they take it all the way up to the climate change point. And what that viewpoint is, is where does government looking out for the good of its citizens and where does government restricting free choice and being big brother and being a police sort of state, where do you draw that line? That's exactly back to the formative. And I think that's where all the arguments come. Because the formative says, back to Hobbes and Locke, the formative says, what are you willing to give up in order to continue? Hmm. Which built into that is you are going to give some things up in order for the good of the large group. And then we have Kant, bless him, who says the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, to use Spock's terms of Star Trek. But, but, but more, more in a more complicated way, he was, what he said was that it can't be the needs of the majority. It has to be the needs of the majority of every stakeholder. Hmm. Well, that would be humanity. Right. <laughs> okay. So... Yeah, well, red meat and not red meat. We don't. We don't see a whole lot of. I mean, the, the people can have conspiracy theories all they want to. That clearly is not happening, and people aren't giving up their cars for anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is leading to other kinds of things. But but that doesn't mean that people can't recognize what's around them and what's happening, and and for people who worry about that. Well, okay. So let's just let's project a bit. Let's say just what if. Let's take somebody who would be politically uh, saying, I'm, "I'm not. I no. I don't believe that this is happening." Do you have a fire alarm? Do you have a smoke detector? Hmm. Do you actually believe your house is going to burn down? Do you have a, a, a generator or you know whatever question you want to ask? Well, why would you have that? You don't believe it's going to happen. So why would you have something that could mitigate? What is going to happen? Because your rational self says, well, but maybe. Right. You know, and, and so if it's possible, then take probable up, but if it's possible that within the space of five or four generations, there's not too many greats after grandpa mm-hmm. with that, that you're going to have an influx of millions of people who no longer have land to live on because it, it disappeared under the water. You're going to have influxes of people for water, refugees, as water refugees who have no water at all. You're not going to have power in places that had it. We already see that in California because of more and more wildfires. And and so the, the, a political system is remiss if it doesn't look at what we know and Try to ask the questions of people. Say, we know this. What are you willing to give up in order to make the next step not happen? Hmm. That's the dialogue that isn't happening. The denials or the accusations is not political dialogue. Political dialogue is, you believe in being ready? What are you willing to do in order to be ready? Exactly. And I, I love that. That what you're talking about with Hobbes is exactly what the political conversation should be rather than denial or accusations or, you know, reducing things to a single viewpoint. Just asking, you know, just asking what, what are you willing to give up to 
make society or make the world work. Or, and, are, or and the, are you willing to? Right. And the fact is, you know, um, climate change is inevitable because, you know, we, we have scarcity of resources. Like it's, that's an indisputable fact. We don't have an endless planet. Like there's no, there's no arguing that at all. Mm -hmm. So it's less a, a question of if it's real, then when it will become real, you know? And so if you take scarcity of resources and you take an increasing population, then, you know, at some point, these terrible things will happen. Um, and, you know, then, then the question is, well, when will they happen? What are we willing to do to take these actions? Like you said, um, are we even willing to? And so I think that that's kind of that. What, what should politics be? Um, you know, what, what role should it, should it enforce things? Should it, should it ask people their idea? Here's, cause here's what I've, I've talked about people with this before. And it's, some people think it's kind of crazy sounding, but you know, in a, it's really America is sort of unique among um, the world where we kind of, um, revere the the founding fathers in our original constitution and, and things where they're there it's almost put on a pedestal above um beyond reproach a lot of other countries write new constitutions or do new things mm -hmm. recognizing that some things are outdated well we live in a republic we have a rep representational republic and you alluded earlier to people should not be allowed to make decisions that affect others and, and not themselves. And I think that nobody really argue that that's not happening in American politics. And on top of that, we have technological innovations that founding fathers never could have could dreamed of. Right? So what's to prevent us from becoming <clears throat> a, a, a actual democracy, a pure democracy, right? Let's say that, let's say we have a technological, um, you have an app on your phone, you know, we, we have all this stuff and everybody can register a vote for different topics um, within a given time frame. And each individual voice is, is heard and we, we go upon what the, what the majority of people vote for, right? <laughs> Obviously, it would have to be much more complex than, than that. But like, it, it comes back to what is what should politics be? Should we be a representative republic? Should we be a democracy? How should we go about answering these questions of what, what should politics address? We have to ask things about questions of authority. And this is what the, the, the philosophers who were influencing the founders of, uh, were doing. If you go to a, a strict democracy, um, then you uh, put yourself in the position of assuming that everyone is an expert on everything and that they won't put their own needs first every single time. And those are very unlikely circumstances. Right. So psychologically. So what's happened is we started with power and we started with self-interest and we're ending with power and self-interest. Yes. So if you give people a democracy and you and they understand their individual vote matters, they're always going to vote in their self-interest and not the interest of... Not necessarily it's, always, not but, always but, but unpredictably. Right. So um, so maybe that doesn't work, right? So and maybe the next question would be, or the next logical extension, and this is another major topic in political philosophy today, is should we be an epistocracy? Which... You know, an epistocracy is a a democracy, but only among intellectual elites. Yeah, and and my first response as probably somebody who falls in that category is is no, either. That's why we've got a democratic republic. You know, we we have a, we have a president who is not elected by the majority of the people, but by a. Uh, uh, Part of the other systematic uh, things put in place, uh, and 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 depending on which side you're on, people will would argue tooth and nail about why that is good or why that isn't good. No single group should have complete authority over what the needs are for everyone, but the authority of knowledge 
has to be returned in order. I mean, that's vital. If, if you have a, a moderation relationship without knowledge, then you are inviting uh, uh, a self-referential um, <laughs> belief. I believe it, and therefore it's right, mm. which does not lead to good decisions. Right. Um, and 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 if you have an elitist, then you then you say, people say, well, nobody's even thinking about me, which is why we have such populist rises across the planet right now. It has to be that complicated intermeshing to hear what people so-called on the ground are saying, but then to moderate that with what knowledge that those folks don't necessarily have. Right. So, you know, we've looked By at telling it, them what you know. Right. So we've looked at it and we've decided, an epi, you know, epistocracy isn't, isn't a good view. A total democracy isn't a good view. Um, you know, obviously, all, almost every political system has a flaw of some kind sure. because of how it, how it works out. So this idea of everybody needs to have a voice. How is, it, how is the voice given? Right. Yeah. yeah. All these things. And, and I think that that's where we're sort of at a turning point with American politics is I think that, um, you know, while not being perfect, obviously, I think that in, in the past, that intermeshing has happened to some extent. I think that common people were being heard and ideas and policies were being filtered through scientific validation, those sorts of things. And I think it's really just recently that some of those things are starting to break down. And um, yeah, we have a we have right now a very dangerous situation on a planetary scale, not just in the United States, where the, where the the value of knowledge and and the authority of fact, and that's not a simple thing either. I'm not suggesting it is, but are being degraded, derided, uh, deposed for what people want to believe. And that's not good for the very people who want to believe that. So that, that implies a paternalism, which you don't want a king. Mm. <laughs> that didn't work out so well either. Right. But that's where it's a constant, it has to be a constant flow, not out of static, this is our position on things. Vote for me because this is my position. But... Here we are, a cluster of people, some with more knowledge, some less, and we are willing to hear everything to constantly make changes in our policy to adjust for what's the best for every group represented. Right. That's messy. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and th so that leads us into the last part, which is what will politics be? Um, so I think the big question there is, based off of what you just said, do you think it's possible? Do you think that... Uh, as a group as large as a political organization can be um, as nimble enough to hear all of the voices and figure out what should be implemented and actually carry through it. Do you think that in our modern society that's a, a possible thing? I used to think so. And I want to think so. But I see an awful lot of things mitigating against that. Um, I have to be optimistic because I have a grandchild. One so far, you know, I, I have to, I can't, and, and adult children are doing remarkable things in their own corners of the world. And I, I, I can't just give up because that would be just way too simple. But I don't see a lot of optimistic things happening right at the moment and i feel like we are at a, a, a tipping place where we, we we can't stay on that tipping place any more than a than a stone sooner or later it's going to go one direction or the other how about you yeah no i think that i think that your estimation of this is just right and i think what i think what it boils down to is that humans live on such sh short time scales that i think we look at things and we assume that because things have been a certain way, they'll always be that way, whether it's in nature or in politics or whatever it may be. When in reality, the, the history 
of the of the universe of the world of humankind is change things do not stay the same you know and so i think that despite the fact that there's been a system that's worked for the past several hundred years with some modification um i think that we've reached a point where there needs to be fairly significant modifications that people are not willing to make and when people are not willing to make those modifications they tend to have a way of forcing people to make those modifications. You know, and, it's not and, and you're saying this very well. You're saying this for, uh, to me. It's, you're saying this lucidly. This is where our, we were talking before we started about the science fiction stories. We, we, what is the most common model in the science fiction of the, what happens in the next stages of humanity? Uh, well, the planet goes down, corporations take over because national governments just aren't able to do it anymore corporations being multinational uh, so the world becomes corporate entities which then extends out into space some corporations own this some corporations, and then there are corporate wars and then there are corporate social and so rather than a nation then it's a corporation that you become loyal to and and that's not a very pretty picture either right um, but it depends on whether one, what does one acknowledge as the economic, for so many people, it's the immediacy and even the long-term of the economic. Well, governments aren't great at developing and manipulating economies. Corporations, maybe not necessarily either, but they seem to be a lot more cutthroat and savvy about it. So we may end up going to corporate models. I don't want that, but <laughs> right. And I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up because economics is one of the topics that I want to cover in future episodes. Good. And that's like the perfect teaser because it's like we'll 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 discuss economics in the same way we discussed politics. But you know, the last final thought for people to think about until we get to that episode is scarcity of resources again. Mm-hmm. It's that thing that's always lingering in the back of my mind, at least when thinking about it, is the goal of economics is to increase consumption, essentially. You know, we need to we need to produce more and to buy consume. more. Right? Yes. And so even if corporations are better at producing and consuming than governments, maybe that's just speeding us towards a demise mm-hmm. if we don't find a way, at least, to become an interplanetary society. In which case, there's still scarcity resources in the universe. There's no, there's no good end to this. <laughs> there's story. no good end to this story. Billions but, of years from now, right? But um, <laughs> in our small little microcosm on our tiny dirt ball in space, that's something to be thinking about. And economics, I think, will be a very interesting episode. So we'll dive into that next time. But thanks for listening. And until next time, keep pondering.